1: Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down. Brought to you by KDD Media Company.
2: You do whatever you do whatever it takes. I mean, apart from borrowing of the money, um, I've committed a couple of card frauds. Um, i sold obviously possessions. We we have like you do in America, porn brokers. So I take whatever I've got to the fucking porn brokers and sell whatever I've got. You know, you you do whatever you it takes to have that. bet. like I don't know what it's like to be an alcoholic or a drug addict. But I'm presuming, like you say, the addictions are similar. You, you, you can't. Whatever it takes, you will do. Hence why we have a lot of crime with with the, with drug addiction in in the UK.
1: Inside the 5150 Studios, this is Knocking Doors Down. Your host, Jason Lachance, a background of uh, alcoholism, some childhood trauma, and other stuff. My co-host over there, fabulously tattooed, Mikey Naraki. What is going on, people? <laughs> what is it? Get it? Yes, because we are speaking with Tony Kelly, who is a Brit, a uh, professional footballer, but uh, not the way you think here in the United States, if that's where you're listening. Uh, of course, what we would call soccer. Soccer yeah uh, wonderful guy this is not only a, a deeply insightful conversation that we have with Mr. Kelly but hilarious he's just a hilarious guy wonderful sense of humor and uh, really insightful as we shed more light on the addiction of gambling yeah great guy super fun to talk to it is. And, uh, you know, and it's really interesting to speak with someone in the sports realm. Of course, we had previous guest, Catherine Lyon, who suffered from gambling addiction, but uh, she wasn't in competitive sports or anything of that nature. So it's really interesting to hear from a fierce competitor um, who was actually a real a standout. Uh, I mean, playing professionally
3: uh, at 17 years old. You know, he really shined some light, too, on the whole um, gambling addiction while being a competitive athlete and their competitive nature as far as not being successful leaving the casino. But you'll hear about it. Yep, more on
1: that uh, with Tony, of course, as we get into this conversation. And of course, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast uh, app, leave us a five-star rating and a review on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart. If you've got a podcast app, We're on there. We're on it. And, of course, uh, the full video is available on YouTube as well, and you can click that link in the podcast description. And please uh, spread the word, share with a friend if you are loving what we're doing, enjoying it, and uh, think there's people that can get something out of it. And we got to thank, of course, 5150LTM for always swagging us out. And they can swag you out too. Isn't that right, Mikey? That is correct. But how, Jason? What's the code? It's pretty simple. You click the link in the podcast description for 5150LTM.com and use that code that Mikey's asking about. It's KDD20. KDD20. And you get 20% off at checkout. Can't beat that. Give it to me one more time. That's KDD20. Sick. This episode of Knocking Doors Down is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O co and be sure to add the Knockin' doors down podcast in the how did you hear about podgo section of the application this episode of knocking doors down is brought to you by manscaped get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code kdd at manscaped.com that's manscaped.com and use the code kdd welcoming to knocking doors down author of red card tony kelly how are you good sir
2: I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for having me. Thank you for the invite. Thank yeah. you to both of you.
1: No, it's, it's good to make your acquaintance, of course, through our mutual friend, uh, Catherine, a former guest, and uh, helping continue to shed the light on gambling addiction, which, you know, needs a lot more awareness.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Catherine, I, I contacted, we made contact 2015, 16, um, when my first book, Red Card, came out. And uh, she's been brilliant in terms of support. Uh, in terms as you know with, with her story so it resonated it matched, and i think we're just both on this crusade of uh of raising awareness and education so uh yeah she's been a great support for me so yeah and but in terms of you know education awareness and, and problem gambling in uk not you know i don't know how i know it's big in the us but yeah. uh it's just grown over the last probably probably over the last 10 years, 15 years in the UK, it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's a lot of reasons for that, which we can talk about in a bit.
1: You know, I have my speculation here, but I haven't done any work other than obviously talking with yourself and Catherine, as far as gambling addiction, you know, really the only two people I've spoken to that have come outward about gambling addiction and raising awareness. Uh, What really prompted the the writing of the book? Did you just feel after everything that you went through and seeing it, uh, not only the wreckage that it caused for yourself on a personal level, your family and loved ones, but also seeing it within the game of football too?
2: Yeah, there's a few reasons really. I mean, uh, 2012, um, my sister's a head teacher. Um, There was was snippets coming out in the English press about ex-footballers gambling, getting into gambling. And uh, it was her that sort of put it to me that maybe I should try and put something to print. Now, you know, let's be honest about it. I didn't know where to start when it comes to writing a book. (laughs) <laughs> um, but, yeah but for some somehow I, I wrote a couple of chapters sent it to her she said yeah, you know you, yeah this is great you can do this start from you know nine years old and go through the professional football career go through the addiction go through racism in in, in coventry which is a city in, in the uk um and make it a biography yeah. in that so the strange thing is that once i put pen to paper i couldn't stop writing yeah. i just literally could not stop writing uh, 18 months took me uh, no computer, no ghostwriter, no laptops, none of that, just A4 paper and my trusted biro, my trusted biro and A4, A4 <laughs> paper. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and it's crazy. And I just write and I had this manuscript up there uh, 18 months later and I thought, wow, I've finished. And I told my sister, he said, right, just go to um, go online and send it to some publishers, had some good feedback. And then, yeah, we got it published in 2014. So that was the start of the recovery um and and obviously two main reasons why I wanted to get the the book out is one is to raise awareness and two is to um because I've got a big family you know lots of you know five brothers lots of cousins nephews Mm etc and I wanted to get yeah and and the majority of my family and friends didn't have to to the depths of what I've been through um Mm -hmm. so I wanted to get that out there for them as well so they were aware of you know they can say oh right so that's that's actually what happened because we used to go to I don't know functions or whatever and um you know if cousins are there and they'll say oh you know how can you not showing you not driving a bloody you know 30 grand bmw or whatever because obviously all my money had gone but you know, they, they, they think oh because i was a footballer for nine years i should have it ex- well blah, blah blah but i didn't i didn't really want to go into detail about my addiction so yeah the book was a way of telling people what i've been through
3: mm. yeah and not to mention i'm sure it's therapeutic talking about it or writing about it right
2: yeah very cathartic very therapeutic definitely without without a shadow of a doubt and i think you know from the publication of the book, I've done a lot of media stuff. Um, so we have a we have a show um, on, in the UK, which is the biggest morning breakfast show, which is called BBC Breakfast. Mm. Um, yeah, and uh, we, I went on that, and uh, I think the feedback from that, um, and then other radio stations, have done, I think that made me realise right there's a lot more that needs to be done here, and people it's, it's resonated with a lot of people, and I think I thought right, okay, what what can I do next? And that's when I had the idea of, of setting up the organisation.
1: Yeah, well, you you, uh, mentioned a couple things I'll want to loop back to just throwing it out there, talking about, uh, you know, racism, uh, where you grew up, you mentioned nine years old, assuming that's about when soccer really became a lot. Let's talk a little bit more about the uh, Red Card Gambling Support Project. And let's dive back into kind of childhood growing up, because it sounds like sounds like you're one of several siblings. And, you know, so yeah, always interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean. The, the the foot if we start with the, the football um nine years old always wanted to be a footballer my my sort of introduction to football was, was Brazil 74 Jardino Revellino that era that team that was my that's when I fell in love with football um and so and that yellow kit and all the rest of it yeah that that's when I really fell in love with football and I wanted to be a footballer. Um, now it's it's not an easy route. Um, obviously you play the local football play for your school team play for your county and then it's basically you, you hope you get spotted by a scout uh, or you go into an academy so I don't know if you're aware of academies we have in England in the professional football game
3: mm, yeah yeah, so, yeah. I'm uh, I'm completely un- uneducated in that aspect. right yeah, yeah.
1: I, I, think, <laughs> I think I correct me if I'm wrong I don't remember if you knew what it was or didn't know when I said well you know out on the pitch. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, so which is yeah, the, fo- yeah. the, the football field in well, yeah. soccer, as just we call it. it
2: pitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's educate Mike. Let's educate Michael. Let's educate Michael. <laughs> educate yeah.
1: me, guys. Yeah. What, yeah. what am I
2: missing here? Educate yeah. me. So the, just the general route. So I was nine years old, playing for a school team, etc. and then you hope you get sc- scouted. If you do get scouted at 12 or 13, you'll go into an academy, so Tottenham Arsenal, whatever it is, or even the lower divisions, whatever team it is you go into academy, you'll still go to school, but you'll train twice a week during the week. You still go to school and you finish at 16. leaves In UK, we leave school at 16. Mm-hmm. And when you get to 16, if you're still with that club, then they give you the option of either releasing you or they give you the option of offering you a two-year scholarship. Oh, okay. So the, yeah, the two-year scholarship is 16 to 18. And at 18, again, you either get released or you get offered a professional contract. So that's the oh, sort of wow. route how it works. So with me, I went, I, I did the tr- traditional route. And at 16, I got offered a contract at Bristol City, um, two-year scholarship. But this is the crazy bit. So at 16, I became the youngest player ever to play for Bristol City's first team, which was 16, 244 days. That record stood for 20 years. Now, everybody in, in the football world and, and family and friends back home in my hometown of Coventry Everyone thought that, you know, I'm going to go on to stardom with Bristol City. You know, quite quite a biggish club in the UK football. Then, you know, then the second tier of football, I'm doing the championship now. Um, and, but the strange thing is, when I, when I made that achievement, I, uh, you know, when I look back now, my, my attitude was was an absolute nightmare. I was going out with the senior pros, clubbing it at 16, 17, coming in at three in the morning. Uh, thinking I've made it remember I'm still a scholar I'm not a pro I'm still a scholar um, and so I had the talent but I didn't have the attitude so the, we, I stayed in what they call digs so the digs is a family which um, the, the the young person the young player me stay with uh, you know a couple they look after you but they're connected to the football club so they will give reports back to the manager to see how Tony's behaving in the house etc is he going out all those things so my report obviously was a nightmare sneaking girls back in at three in the morning <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but, but that was that was but that was just my that was just my character it was just the way I was I was a little bit wild um and then obviously in training not really putting it in thinking I'm Jack the lad so come 17 I, I did you know I didn't even get to 18 never mind that I, I got to 17 uh so after a year I was called into the office and uh Terry Cooper who used to play for England and Leeds uh he um just called me and said you know tony your attitude stinks you will i remember his words. he said you you probably will become a professional footballer but not now he said we're going to have to release you and no and that that was a crushing blow for me because i had to go back to my hometown coventry in the uk face family and friends everyone asked me a million questions god what happened at bristol city how come you're back already and they couldn't quite work it out uh, so and at this 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 at this point in my in my life, this I talk to young people today about players that get released from clubs at 16 and 17. You can either go one way or you go the other. And you know, I've had experience with my nephew who was at Coventry and then got released at 16 and went on the streets and ended up in fucking prison. So you got young people that are crushed of that rejection and they don't know how to cope with it. They They've, they've had it easy in terms of being pampered by the football club, and you know having the kit and the boots and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden they're out of the game. But what what you can do, and this is this this is an education that you'll you you, you I'll try and make you understand. In the UK, you have professional football and you have semi-professional football, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Semi-professional football is not none of the nine to two football league clubs. The nine to two football league clubs are four divisions. Is the professional circuit in England. But you have semi-professional football, which are lower teams, which you can have a job as a banker, a postman, whatever your job is. And you'll play for that semi-professional football team. You'll train twice a week. You might get a couple hundred quid a week. Yeah. Um, and you'll hope by playing for that team, you'll get spotted by a scout playing in semi-professional football. So when you, when a young player gets released from Arsenal, Tottenham, wherever it is, um, at 17 or whatever, they, they, they can still become a pro if they go to a semi-pro club and work their way back up and have the desire and work hard and hope that they get spotted because players like Ian Wright and Les Ferdinand and Jamie Vardy and all these premiership players, they've all come from non-league football. We call it non-league, sorry, non-league football. Yeah, yeah they've come from non-league football. And that's what a lot of people don't realise. The list is endless of these top strikers and players in the UK that have come from non-league football. Jamie Vardy, who was the top scorer in the Premier League last year, he he, he was 21 when he came from Fleetwood. You know, Les Ferdinand was 20 from Hayes United. People are thinking, who's Hayes exactly? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Ian, Wright, Ian Wright, Ian Wright, Greenwich Borough before he went to Palace. You know, so I I had that mindset. And I, I went into non-league. I worked hard. I played for a club, say, St. Albans City. Uh, really good semi-professional football club. Um, and I eventually got spotted playing for um, St. Albans by Stoke City. And so I turned professional at 21. You know, so it's never too late. Never too late.
1: Yeah. Well, shit, you were just a kid, though. I couldn't imagine that kind of... A, a kid going out partying, girls, the whole thing. B... Once you get rejected, you're just a, f- a fucking kid, Tony. At that
3: point, yeah. It's like yeah, I know? was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's what I mean. Sixteen years old, man. <laughs> Jeez, I was. How was I doing at sixteen? Well, I mean, we're still. <laughs> I was still looking for my first armpit hair.
1: <laughs> I mean, we're still in in secondary school at that point here because we normally go 17, 18 Yeah. Unless we yeah. fuck up, it might be nineteen. But.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you, you probably you still waiting for your first kiss, yeah?
3: yeah well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I eighth grade, I, I really Eighth grade, Tony. Tony, looking eighth back, great. if I write a book,
1: I realize yeah. my shit started way younger, way before I ever touched alcohol. So right, right. okay. You know. uh, so that was okay. the
2: journey. That was the journey. Um, yeah, of the fo- of the football, obviously from from Stoke City. I had nine years as a professional then. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what was uh, that the growing up like? As you mentioned, a sister, five yeah. brothers, uh, you know, I, I, and from what I did, a bit of research, especially when, when you grew up, you're, I think, about seven, eight years older than me. Definitely an area that faced a lot of racism and discrimination. Yeah.
2: Yeah. In, in England in the 80s, I mean, there, there was a lot of um, racism. Uh, There's a lot of uh, skinhead, skinhead culture um, in, in the UK back then. Um, in terms of England, there wasn't there wasn't that many uh, black footballers, so it was very hard to get into football. You know today you know half the England squad is are black players now, so it just shows you how how much time has changed. Uh, but yeah, I had to struggle through that. You know it wasn't nice getting into fights etc. Um, but I fought my way through that, and I think moving away, Coventry is a <clears throat> big city. It's a big city in the UK, county in the Midlands near Birmingham. Um, but it's a couple of hours from London. And at 18 years old, I decided to move to London from Coventry, yeah. um, where my sister was living as a teacher and moved in with her in a flat in London. And that that sort of move uh, sort of like started my sort of new life and new career in London because I joined the semi-professional football club. I've got a job, lived with my sister. And, um, you know, the, the racism wasn't as rife as it was in the inner cities. Um, so, yeah, but unfortunately, when I moved to London at 18... Uh, i signed for a club called dulwich hamlet football club they are semi-professional football club and um unfortunately across the road was a bookmakers i'll never forget it mecca bookmakers and we talk about reasons why people start gambling there's lots of different various reasons whether it's trauma uh, whether it's to cope with stress cope with things whether it's advertising promotion as it is today Uh, but for me back then it was a bit of peer pressure there was about I was new. I came to London. London was a big city and big lights. And I teamed up with four or five of the players who had little bets, uh, at the bookies across the road before matches. And it was my way of wanting to fit in because of, you know, see if you can picture it. But I've come from Coventry with a completely different accent to the Cockney Londoners and the Cockney Londoners are cocky. Um, and, you, and you have to, you, you have to fit in, you have to, you know, you, you, get, you, you get the piss ripped out of you, you know what I mean? So I had, to, I had to be strong mentally, but I was young, I was 18, I was shy, you know, so I had to find a way to fit in. And when I seen these, these guys at 22, 23, you know, having these bets at uh, the bookmakers across the road, I, I just joined in with them. I joined in with the click. And it was a bit of peer pressure. So that sort of made me feel a bit more comfortable and confident. And that's how I started the football um, coupons gambling. And mm. so that was my sort of first bet. Yeah, you know, eighteen years old.
1: Were you betting on all games, your games? Just science? no, not
2: not not my games. Just any any games, all the divisions. Yeah, various different games. And you know, it's like anything. You know, it starts out like most people as a bit of fun, as a bit of curiosity. Um, yeah, you want financial reward, but you know, it's only when it's, it's it slowly starts to escalate. Um, and and the thing about gambling addiction is that like half the time you don't even know what's really happening um and it's and it, and it grows gradually and then you, you know at some point it will start affecting your your daily life at some point you'll start borrowing money um at some point it will affect you you know your mental health uh you'll start missing because i was working at the time you'll start you know missing work um because of the way you feel uh, and then eventually slowly you'll get yourself into serious debt um so yeah the spiral of, of gamma addiction is it's it's it's, it, I would say it's probably a, a gradual thing that takes time, um, but yeah. Before, but I would say that at eighteen with that gambling, um, by the time I got to twenty-one and signed for Stoke City, I didn't. I wouldn't. I wasn't an addict, but but I had a problem. Uh, but when I went to Stoke, obviously hell of a lot more money. But I will, in terms of saying that I had a lot, hell of a lot more money, yes, I did because I was a professional footballer. But it's it's. It is quite irrelevant in terms of how much you earn, you know, because we have people that are on, you know, benefits and students that are still gambling their their money away and, and and getting you know gambling harm. So that's quite irrelevant. It's just that I did have more money. So my losses were big were bigger and my layouts were bigger. And when you get to a place of what we call chasing losses, then you'll you'll put big bets on. To try and get yourself eat, yeah. to get yourself eat, to get yourself even that's what you're doing that's what's happening to me but then you know over a period of time you pick yourself you dig yourself a bigger hole and that's what was happening to me so um by the time i turned professional in stoke and signed that three-year contract um i was getting into serious debt but then then i hit the casinos uh, and i think hitting the casinos was probably yeah the biggest sort of trigger in terms of how the how the addiction really spiraled out of control because i would finish training We'd start training about 10 o'clock, you know, get home back, you know, it, it was different to the continent, by the way, English, English professional football then. Times have changed now, you know, now, you know, you might start at 10 o'clock, you won't, you won't, you'd have an afternoon session, there's the gym, you know, different kinds of sessions, so you might not finish till three or four o'clock, but back then you'd be out the ground by one o'clock, and I would either go to the bookies um, or I'd go to the casino all day, and then in the evening I'd go to the casino, and this is like Monday to Friday, um, and so, yeah, I was, I was losing a hell of a lot of money and the debt was increasing, increasing, increasing. I was going to the manager, for asking for subs. Uh, I borrowed off every single member of my family, which is five brothers and a sister. Um, and we talk about it today, but we're a very tight-knit family and we talk about it today, um, about you know the times when you're burdening with your family with, with problems and your friends. Then eventually that phone that phone stops ringing and your mates stop picking up the phone because they know it's, oh, you want another 50 quid. So there's so many elements to it that, that are attached to gambling addiction uh, and not not just the money but obviously the mental side of it so yeah I was going for a tough time I never I never spoke to anybody I never I never once went to a manager of all the six managers that I played for not once did I go to a manager uh, to you know open up because you stay in denial that's that's right. the sad, yeah that's the sad fact about an addict you stay in denial you think that that massive massive win will come yeah
3: Yeah, we always do. So in the midst of you losing all this money and becoming more and more in debt, I'm curious as to where your thought process was. Were you just like, oh shit, I'm losing a ton of money, this isn't good, I gotta win it back. Or did you know in the back of my mind this isn't good? I gotta just stop completely.
2: Yeah, and that's that's the really interesting point because although you know that you've you've got a you've got a problem and this is causing a problem, you know, because I'm not sleeping. You know, my form is very sporadic with the clubs. I was in and out of the team. Um, so there's lots of things going on around me. And obviously with the debt and the bailiffs and the, and the debt letters that come through the door, getting the car repossessed, all these things. So you know you've got a problem. You know the gambling is causing this. Right. But, the ha- but the hardest thing is to stop. That is the hardest thing. And that's why we say today that, you know, you have to get professional help. You can't, you, you're not going to wake up in the morning one day and say, I'm going to stop gambling. It, it just doesn't work like that. Um, and so that that's that's why that's why you, you know you continue 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 to hope that and the thing the thing the crazy thing about it even if I did get a big win and got myself level I don't think I would have stopped.
1: It's never enough. Yeah, yeah,
2: I don't think I would have stopped. No,
4: I yeah. think
1: people, anyone listening would be so fascinating because you know you, when you tell your story, Tony, and other people from other forms of addiction, and me myself with alcoholism, it's just. It's weird how we all think we're so different and unique, and yet addiction is addiction is addiction, you know, and what it does to you, you know, the sleeplessness, the, the ruin. I mean, you know, yeah. people, you know, obviously you think people with expensive drugs, you mm. know, Mikey, you know, it was costly, but hey, even me with the alcohol, I remember counting changes to go in and get a, a you know, a double can here, a 24 yeah. ounce can. Just because yeah. I was DTing or whatever it is, and I imagine yeah. psychologically and emotionally, you would go through the same kind of situation if you had no, no cash at hand to go and just place a bet or whatever it was. If there's, you,
2: you do know. whatever you do whatever it takes. I mean, apart from borrowing up the money, um, I've committed a couple of card frauds. Um, i sold obviously possessions. We we have like you do in America, pawnbrokers. brokers. So I mm-hmm. take whatever I've got to the fucking porn brokers and sell whatever I've got. You know, you you do whatever you takes to have that bet. And like, I don't know what it's like to be an alcoholic or drug addict, but I'm presuming, like you say, the addictions are similar. You 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 can't whatever it takes, you will do. Hence why we have a lot of crime with 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 drug addiction in, in the UK, uh, because you know you have to have that first bet. That's first thing you think about in the morning. As far as I'm concerned, is having about when does the book is open. You know, they stay open later over the last few years now. You stay in there till early evening. You know. It's a, it's a cycle that's very, very difficult to break. That's, that's the way I would describe it. It's very, very difficult to break that cycle yeah, and to, unless you get uh, two things, really. One, you need professional help, but two, you've got to be committed to want help. Yeah. You know, you've actually got to want help, you know. And like most people and most gamut addicts, you don't seek help until what we call rock bottom. You know, that's gem- that's generally when you seek help.
1: For you was it solely sports betting? You also mentioned the casinos as well. And if I remember correctly on the cover of yeah. your book, there's a roulette table. Roulette, um,
2: <laughs> Roulette. Roulette killed me. Not not, yeah. not
4: literally. I I'm, I'm still here.
2: It didn't kill me. Literally. <laughs> yeah. But but roulette was just evil. You know, that I got addicted to the casino and roulette was the game. Um
3: roulette was your thing, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I hated. I I got in trouble for cut. They were like, "Sir, you gotta stop cussing. You gotta stop yelling so loud." Yeah. I'm like, "I just lost a hundred dollars in twenty seconds. Give me a freaking yeah. break." Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they they say that about the um the shop staff in, in the book is about they should they should intervene uh, when someone's losing money on the machine or whatever. But you know. The shop staff are scared of, of um, repercussions and violence. Like you just said, if you tell a punter that, oh, you know, you've got to come out and stop or you've got to stop gambling now because you've, got, they'll just go mad because they've just lost £500 in 10 minutes. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the the, the casinos uh, was the yeah, biggest downfall. Big, big, big losses in the casino. Um, I mean, we talk about intervention now. You know, we'll touch upon it a bit later about the gambling industry, how it works here and how they can intervene and what, what certain things should be in place that are not being done. Uh, but, yeah, the, 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 I think the denial factor is the thing that, you know, I say to people now that if, if it starts to cause an issue on a daily basis, if you start borrowing money, if it's causing you serious health problems like sleeping and depression, you know, that's when you know you've got to say, right, I've got to go and speak to somebody. It might be a family, a friend, it might be an employer, but yeah. you've got to get professional help because that's Otherwise, you know, otherwise, unfortunately, in the UK, I'm not sure America's like, but we have approximately 650 gambling related deaths per year. And that's growing. So suicide is now a a big part of gambling addiction in the UK. We had a documentary three days ago on our main channel uh, about suicide and gambling. So people are starting to sort of wake up and realise how deep this gambling addiction uh, issue is.
1: More with Tony Kelly coming your way. Uh, Not only do we get into those fun, random questions, but uh, Tony's got some great stories of soccer hooligans, some uh, interesting situations where he had combative stuff go on with teammates, and a lot more of inspiration from Mr. Tony Kelly.
5: So stick around. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. Breaking news, this important PSA is brought to you by Manscaped.com.
3: This is your pubic service announcement and the news you've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. This new trimmer was just released only moments ago, and we are one of the first to get our hands on it and share the news. Join over 2 million worldwide who trusted Manscaped with this exclusive offer to you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code KDD at manscaped.com. I'm one of the
1: first people to try the new 4.0 and I'm blown away by the performance, the craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level.
3: What makes this trimmer different than all the other trimmers you may ask? a new multi-function on-off switch that can engage a travel lock created for the people who like to travel.
1: The Lawn Mower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4K LED spotlight on and off
3: when needed for a more precise shave. The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all over through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4.
1: And look-wise, it's sleek with a two-tone matte and gloss finish even features a hot foil-stamped black chrome Manscaped logo. Show that mower off loud and proud. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code KDD at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code KDD. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All of these matters that just can lead to It's a terrible, terrible downfall. Did you uh, in your in your post? uh, um, I want to ask you know what was your point and what you recognized and got help. But in getting help, have you kind of done backtracking of of boy, what really triggered gambling addiction? I mean, I know you mentioned that desire to to fit in, but you know, Mm -hmm. were you kind of as a kid a bit of an outcast or? you know did you fall on a certain point in the family like the youngest of all the children or middle and you yeah. know i i know for me i did a lot of unraveling it's like okay my addiction makes sense now not only family history but yeah other traumas yeah. that occurred
2: yes it's an interesting point because i i with my team at red card um three of them are counselors and psychotherapists now i talk to them about addiction per se and 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 what it actually means and and how people get addicted and why people get addicted and one of the things they do always say is that a lot of addiction stems from childhood trauma Mm -hmm. so i i I say to them well my childhood i couldn't have had a better childhood you know mum and dad five brothers didn't want for anything the perfect childhood no trauma whatsoever and so that sort of counts that out, but, but obviously, you know, it's, it's different for different people. Um, so when I look back about, you know, how, how I, how this gambling addiction, you know, escalated, whether I think back to the first bet, yeah, trying to fit in and all that. But beyond that, I can't sort of put my finger on any particular reason why, why I actually got addicted and why I became a compulsive gambler. Cause the, the strange thing is, which is a fact anyway, and it's the same all over the country, all over the world. Sorry. Is that there's thousands and thousands uh, of people that gambling that gamble without ever encountering gambling harm. That it never causes a problem, you know. And, and that's and that's the that's the tricky bit. You, which you can't. Yeah, you might you might have a, a point to say on that because I, I can't sort of work out what wh- why that is. Yeah,
1: it's it's really interesting because I. Gambling, not a thing, but you put a beer in front of me, see you in two weeks, you know? And it's so yeah. just
3: weird how our brains work, you yeah. know, for each individual. I each was,
2: individual, yeah.
3: Exactly. I was uh, actually recently out of town for a friend's get together, and there was a casino, and I, I lost uh, Probably like eighty to a hundred bucks in like five minutes, and I was thinking of everything I could have done with the hundred dollars. I literally just walked in, handed them a hundred dollars, and then just <laughs> yeah. left. It's like this is fucking stupid. <laughs> like no offense yeah. to people who, yeah, left. but because but, they but, but can get alcoholics and be like, "What? Just don't drink." It's yeah. that yeah, you know but Mikey, I
2: mean? Yeah, but Mikey, you you just made an interesting point. You've just gone in and given them a hundred pound or lost hundred pound. Yeah, yeah. But for thousands of people, they have to get that £100 back.
3: Yeah, no,
2: absolutely. Something, something triggers them, they have to get it back.
3: Sure, sure. They yeah. can't
2: walk out and say, no, I've lost £100, leave that, I'm going to leave that fucking shit alone. I'm walking out. They, a lot of people can't do that. They have to get it back. Oh, and, that's and I where told
3: I totally get that. Like I wanted to get it back, but I was just like, no, no, no. like Because these places are big and beautiful for, you know, not giving money away. So it's just like, but I, but I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's a very, it's very, um, some obviously there's, you touch upon about how the brain works. We're all wired up differently. we talk about the talk of how the dopamine has an effect on your behavior. So there's lots of, you know, biological issues going on but you know it's just weird how some people who just i've got friends that that gamble never a problem never a problem but then i've got that you know serious problem so it's different for everybody you know i'm not sure about this addictive people say that some people have an addictive personality i don't know could be i don't know
3: well and it goes both ways too like jason how he had mentioned how mine was substance abuse so like cocaine when i ran out i wanted more i want i couldn't sleep i'd be up for days at a time you yeah. would probably look at me and be like, dude, stop doing it and go the fuck to bed. You know, yeah, I mean? yeah. I'd be like, yeah. it's not that easy. I want not that know. easy. No, yeah,
4: <laughs>
1: exactly.
4: so
3: that's why that, I'm saying I get what you're saying.
1: Yeah, not, not that idea, easy. Buddy. Yeah. But mm. that's the interesting thing, too, that you really talk about, Tony, that, that just the psychological ramifications, you know, mm. the emotional state it leaves you in. You too, you, yeah. you, you know, restless and everything else. Uh, I mean, yeah. You know, and I would assume being a fierce competitor because you know if you're if you're out there on the pitch and you're making a living at it, you're a fierce competitor. There's yeah, no, yeah, there's yeah. no. Oh well, I, you know, no need to slide tackle that guy because his mum is nice, and you know, it's like no, you're gonna fucking get the ball away yeah. however you can, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. When I talk about that's part of you know a lot of gamblers make up that competitive nature, um, and that, and obviously I had that with my profession. That's why a lot of sports people get addicted well they say that's why a lot of sports people they're addicted to gambling because of their competitive nature they need to win I um, yeah it's really interesting uh but the the, the ramifications yeah i think that's that, that's why i was pleased that there was a, a documentary on uk tv three days ago about which really highlighted the suicide because i think um when we talk about issues social issues in the uk a lot of a lot of the time uh drugs and alcohol will be mentioned you know when you go to the GP for as an example when you go to the GP with you know sleep deprivation or depression you know they'll ask you oh are you taking drugs or have you, do you drink but they won't ask you to gamble and that's one of the things we're, talk- we're we're talking about now in the UK about getting GPS educated so they can spot the size they can ask the right questions and they can diagnose people that have come into their surgery with serious health issues and mental health issues that are stemming from gambling, you know, cause that's, that's a really big thing that's going on at the moment. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A mm. uh, general practitioner for those that are wondering. Geez. Yes.
2: There, there yeah. you go. general <laughs> practitioner. Uh, uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about it. And You use the term, a uh, uh, rock bottom for you. Where is the point, Tony, that you just went, cause you lost about half a million pounds half a million
2: including the house. Yeah. Yeah. Over that nine wow. year period. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this and lots of lots of people um have different journeys lots of people recover differently uh, there's not one size fits all and my in terms of rock bottom i always i always because i speak to people within uh within the sector about suicide about well, there's one or two people i know families i know lost their sons to gambling addiction and i never um although i was Depressed, and although I was on medication, although I'd lost everything and, and the debt and fell out with friends and family members, all these things that happened. It's, I'm, whether I'm blessed or what, I don't know, but we'll come onto my faith again soon. But I never got to a point, I could honestly say that I never got to a point where I thought I'm going to kill myself. You know, whether that's, whether that's, I am i wasn't meant to go down that road, I don't know whether God spared me for, 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 the, for the new journey, maybe. Mm-hmm. But others have others have got to that crossroad where unfortunately that there's no there's point of no return so i had every element um in terms of the damage you've done to me but it was just fortunate i never got to the point where i wanted to take my life but obviously as we know you know many many do uh, and the rock so rock bottom i would say that 2010 um is when i went bankrupt uh so i had 192 pound bankruptcy file which was 32 creditors so every fucking loan shark or bank or pawnbroker everything on there um and that was a sort i wouldn't say it was a start but i was still gambling after the bank bankruptcy but the difference was i couldn't get credit because it stays on your credit i don't know why it's like in the us but it, you get a bankruptcy in the uk it stays on your credit file for six years you can't get credit so oh, that was fine because i didn't want credit um but it stays on your credit file so if you go to a, for a job and they ask you, have you ever been declared bankrupt? That's, then obviously it's caused you problems. Um, right. But so I went. That wiped out the hundred ninety-two thousand pound debt. Um, but then here's the here's the bit which I wanted to tell you how it I'd say how it got to where I am today is that a year later I was working for Network Rail, which is a railway organisation in the UK. Um, I was in my signal box and working away on a Sunday afternoon, really quiet. And I had a visitor. Now, I've been at Network Rail for 10 years now, because that's the career I went into after football. Uh, so I had a visit on a Sunday afternoon, really quiet. And uh, I didn't recognise him. We're not allowed visitors. You work alone. The only person I might get is a regional manager or something. But I didn't recognise this person. He's about 50-something. And um, I said, oh, yeah, how can I help you? And he said, oh, I'm the local uh, Network Rail chaplain. I said, OK. I said, well, I've been here 10 years, and I've never met a Network Rail chaplain. Showed me his ID. Um, seemed genuine enough. And uh, he, ha- he actually had a Bible in his hand, brand, brand new Bible. And um, so I let him in. We sat down in a signal box. Um, and this was the point where the bankruptcy had just finished. Uh, my 20-year relationship with a partner was just coming to an end. And obviously, you know, my life was still a bit of a mess. Um, so we sat down and talked. And straight away, within, within five minutes, he wrote out what I now know is called a salvation prayer. We said that together um and then we talked about where i'm at and then we talked about the future um read a few scripts scriptures sorry and um and then he left after two hours now it wasn't a case of when he left and when i finished work that day that the next day that everything was rosy and things are going to be great it wasn't all that at all but it was a great when i look back now i can see how gradual it was and i can see what steps were being put in place this this is really really from a personal point of view so 2012, 13, which is 18 months later, is when I told you when this idea of writing a book came. And I said to you that I wouldn't know where to start to write a book. So, although I was still gambling, but not heavy because I didn't have the credit and all that, um, I started to sort of see a bit of hope. And when the book was released, that's when I really saw hope because I was finished the book, the book came out. um, And then I was setting up this organization with some support. Lots of people came to support me, which it was a bit strange because people will come from all over, you know, just wanted to get on board with Red Car, wanted to help me. Governance, setting up the organization with directors, getting a team of counselors together. It was, you know, it it was it was hard work, but there was just so many people that wanted to support me. Yeah. So, and this is what I call the people that God brought into my life. So, what happened then? I had I had a friend in Coventry who had this business gala dinner going on. Um Big event annual event in coventry and she said oh your books just come out um and we've got a problem with we're down a speaker and uh would you come and share your story for 15 minutes 250 people big gala dinner in this hotel and when she said it my, my heart sank because i never did public speak in my life you know what I mean? So, so I'm, thinking, I'm, I'm thinking shit fucking hell, how can i do this so uh, something triggered and just said just go and do it you know what i mean so i got a table with eight members of my family um and when I'd done that talk for 15 minutes that that was it and that's when I knew in my heart that's when I knew that this is this is God's putting you on a new journey now that you're going to be going on from this because lots of people in the audience coming up to me afterwards talking about my story talking about their mum and dad's finding their betting slims in the bin all kinds of stuff uh, so I knew it it resonates with a lot of people I knew how big the gambling addiction was um and I felt, you know, although I was, you know, I, I shit myself before I went on stage. But <laughs> know, I mean, but but, but I, 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 I thought, you know, the people, the comments afterwards, you're saying that you, you're a natural. And then after that, obviously, like I said, I went on BBC Breakfast and the comments on that, you're a natural. And I thought, wow, yeah, this is there's something that's changed here. I can't put my finger on it. And I'm saying to myself, there's something that's changed here. You're, you're now going to go out and educate people, which if you would have asked me. You know, two or three years previous, I would have just laughed in your face, and if you were have you're going to head up an organisation, you're going to go and educate people, you're going to do public speaking, you're going to write books, I'd say you must be fucking mad. But, <laughs> but it's just crazy how 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 they're not. In my opinion, again, sorry, uh, and I respect everyone's faith and religion, uh, but that's what I think that god yeah. has put into little little building blocks to where we are now yeah. yeah
1: it's interesting how the thing that kind of is a our damnation so to speak can end up being a part of our salvation and our gift back to the world and yeah you know, and, it, and, a, and a spiritual awakening which you know for anyone watching listening i mean it's such a, a huge part of you know naaa gamblers anonymous or what you know it's that that spiritual progress yeah spiritual perfection yeah. And it's it's a key component for our sobriety, yeah. for
2: whatever it is. Yeah, a lot of people go to GA, and, you know, the 12-step program, and you know there's a, a spiritual, religious element to that. And, you know, that's that helps them whether the, whatever the higher power is that they believe in. So, yeah, for me, yeah. it's Christianity. For me, um, and I just go back to uh, after that book was um, written, the first book, Red Car, and I've done that talk the set of the organization. The first workshop that we set up was... A local one a regional one in our area and we were looking for somewhere to to um do the workshop our first one uh, o- open event and so uh again it's weird someone said contact the local church i contacted the local church i went down there um his house is right next to the church and uh, father Taiman. and he said oh i had the book with me and we sat in his house with it with his two kids and his wife and he said your story is amazing i said that you know he said we want to support your organization you can have the f- hall for free which is normally about 500 quid you can have it for free uh, we'll give you a donation to help you on your way um, and so they became our first sponsor so it's all connected yeah. it's just all it's all connected and they became my church of worship and um yeah from that moment onwards it was just a matter of you know god giving me the tools and me me using the tools and making sure that i stay on the right path and You know, try to try to educate people, which, yeah, and we've grown, we've grown from, I would say we're active in terms of going out to the public, uh, in terms of educational workshops, we've grown, we we were active from about 2017, um, so to where we are now and continue to grow, yeah. That
1: seems very cool. I love it. Well, let's talk a little bit more about some uh, some football stories. Uh, yeah. t- tell us some good memories. I mean, we you know we love talking to- sports, even if we don't know yeah. a ton about yeah.
3: sports. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. Like I'll tell you. Football. I'll tell you a
2: funny story. I'll tell you a funny yeah. one. I've gone. Go on, go on Michael. What were you going
3: to say? Oh, I was going to say I saw a footballer, and I was like, "Cool, oh, which NFL team is that?" <laughs> and I forget that. <laughs> <it was there. laughs> so yeah, let's hear, it, man. Let's hear some stories. Yeah.
2: So the, uh, the, the the I'll tell you the the funny the, no yeah the funny one first. So in, in England, obviously, you've got different divisions, uh, the top tier, the Premier League, and then you have Championship, second tier, and then Division One and Division Two. So I was, this is on my downward spiral of my career. Um, so I'm now at Berry Football Club um, in the third tier of freshman football. And um, because my form was so sporadic, I was this was at all the clubs, my form was sporadic. It was always in and out of the team because of what was going on. And so this particular team I was playing for, they... The manager got pissed off with me, so he dropped me and, and he signed another player from another club and he played in my position right wing. So one Saturday afternoon at a match, um, what happens when you when when he calls the squad out and all that? The squad travels together to the game. Um, and then the ones that are not playing are sitting in the in the stand uh, with, with the directs and the chairman. And uh yeah, you watch the game, and you, and you're sitting there in your suit. So I'm sitting there in my suit with about three or four more players, teammates that were in the squad that are not playing, and um I'm watching this guy on the pitch. Yeah, that's taken my place. So every time he, he touches the ball, I'm like, you fucking shit. You fucking wanker. I'm just, I'm just cussing him. I'm just cussing him. I remember there's four or 5,000 people in the crowd. I'm in the main stand and people are, people are you know, looking around. And my mates are saying to me, Tony, the chairman's behind you. The chairman's behind, you know, but I didn't give a shit. I, I didn't give a shit. So I just kept cussing this guy, Kevin Hume, his name was, and I kept cussing him. And, um, and so I didn't think nothing of it. The chairman obviously right behind me obviously heard everything I did, but I didn't care because that's that was my mindset. I was just pissed off. I didn't care. So um we come to Monday morning now, yeah. Monday morning, and every Monday morning at every football club, you have a briefing, yeah, With the weekend. So he sits us down in the dressing room, all in a in a square in the dressing room, just to have a briefing about Saturday's match. Um, and then before he starts, he goes, Right, guys. Um there was an unsavoury incident on Saturday um, in, at the match on Saturday, and um, uh, the two guys—the two guys know know who they are. Uh, so he looks at Ke- Kevin's across the dressing room of me, so he's sort of looking at me. And uh, Mike Walsh, manager, goes, "So, uh, he goes, you two, you two, go and sort it out in the gym." Now, Kevin Hume is six foot something and built like a fucking brick shit house, yeah <laughs> so, all right so when so, so when Mike walsh manager said you two go and sort it out in the gym my heart just sank because i just thought this, that's it i'm just going to be fucking buttered you know what i, mean?
3: <laughs> <laughs> then the, when I think you about just it, take off running you could well, beat me up but i could outrun you yeah
2: so I just thought in my head, in, as soon as he said it, I knew obviously I knew what Mike Walsh meant. sort it out. Um, So he wants us to have a rock, right? Which is not good management anyway, right? I still can't believe. He, I, I still can't believe he said that. But yeah, so the players are all are all thinking, "Fucking hell, good luck, Tony," sort of thing. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so, so, so I, so I, um, I, in my head, all I was thinking, and this is, and you know, you. Sometimes you just got to be honest and hold your hands up, and and this is a point where I don't mind telling you guys. I tell my friends and everyone about it because it's just honest. I am, you know, if, if I'm if I'm a chicken or a fucking coward, I'll, I'll tell you. And at this particular particular moment, I was, and I said in my head, I was thinking, right, when we get into this gym, I've got to think about what I can say before he throws that first punch. So we got into the gym, and I goes, <laughs> Kev, 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 listen, listen, I'm genuinely, really, really sorry. I didn't mean any harm, us, so and I know I was out of order. I'm really sorry. Listen, mate, I'm just pissed off. I'm not in the team. You know, you're signed for Barry now. I said, look, it's nothing against you. Trust me. And I just went on and on and on and rambled. And he's just and he's just staring at me with his fucking fist clenched and all that. But, you know, it worked. It worked. He just said, Tony, look, just forget it. Just fucking forget it. <coughs> and remember, I remember when we walked out into the dressing we got changed. And in the warm-up, when you were jogging around the pitch in the warm-up, the players were just comments just coming out. Fucking hell, I'm, I'm glad. You, I'm surprised you're still alive. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so did you guys like was that you said it was poor management and you still can't believe that he said that but was that common if you guys had an issue you would just go fight it out in the gym or was that the only time that that's happened for you that was the only
2: that's the only time for me that that's happened but generally oh, wow. in the in the in the english dressing room professional football there's been lots and lots of fights, oh,
3: lots oh, of fights. Man, I yeah
2: yeah, yeah there's been a lot of, a lot of fights on the training ground without a doubt yeah
3: I'm um, curious about this. Well,
1: because well. you were playing, this was what, late 80s at this point?
2: Late 90s.
1: Late 90s, okay. Because yeah. you had a, uh, was it 14 years? How long did you play?
2: Play for nine years, 1990
1: to 99. Oh, okay. You know, okay. Yeah, okay. as a
2: pro, and then obviously uh, 1982 to 94 as a, as a 16 to 18-year-old, yeah.
3: Okay, okay.
2: But that so was, cool. uh, yeah, go on.
3: With the fights being, <clears throat> excuse me, somewhat common, I'm curious, have you ever seen a Green Street hooligan? yes. Okay, so is that a real thing too? Like every soccer club has a firm and they all yes. meet each other? That's yeah. real? Cool? Yeah, oh,
2: yeah, yeah. It's, it's absolutely. Um, they still have the firms today, but because there's so much cameras and so much police about now, time's moved on a bit. So, and so there's a lot of. And all that yeah, stuff.
3: yeah. Yes. Everything's. Yeah.
2: yeah, okay. Everything's changed now. But back then, there were specific firms, you know, the Chelsea's, the Arsenals, the Tottenham's, the Millwall's specific firms and the, the thing about these firms because i knew one or two of them the thing about these firms uh some of the guys you would never think are hooligans you know they have work they work in a top bank or something like that but come saturday afternoon their their whole life changes you know they're oh, yeah. going to yeah they're going to football specifically
3: to have a run you know and that's how it was back in the 80s you actually nuts you know yeah. what? I get it because we have a, we, we have a great job. You know, we're, yeah. we're nice. We're nice guys. We're nice guys. But on yeah. football Sunday, oh, when my Niners you. are playing, when my yes. 49ers are playing and they lose, <laughs> don't talk to me. Don't hear near me. Nobody call me. Don't text me. I don't want to talk to nobody. <laughs> so, I get the passion. I understand yes. the
1: passion for a team. The soccer. Yeah. Team. Well, for me, yes. Tony, I'm a big motorsports guy. Uh, my, my favorite driver, Lewis Hamilton. Now, when I was drinking and Lewis would lose or something like he did last weekend where he went off the track and could have won, I would have lost my shit. But now I'm just kind of like, oh, that's racing, you know, but before it's
3: like, what the fuck? (laughs) I
0: don't
3: know. (laughs) i that completely sober. That's that's the passion. I'll I'll be completely sober and just be like, oh. Yeah, things off the
2: wall. but the thing—the thing is, like you said, for for a thousand, especially yeah, you know, with the same U.S. the same as UK, thousands of sports fans. To them, it is their it's their weekend. It's a massive part of their life. If sure. their team loses, they're going to work on Monday. You know, depressed. It's a big part of their life for some supporters. Yeah, you
1: know, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, and there's, I noticed when I was there um, in England, even although brief, uh, there's definitely a different camaraderie than there is here. I mean, the, the I would say the fanatic it's more yeah. fanatic there than here to a certain extent. Although I see it pretty crazy with American football and I have been to games where I've seen idiots get into fights, but yeah. Not- not to the movement that like, I've seen. Ripping with- your head off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah not like Just- yeah, ripping your head off. Yeah. Exactly. I
3: know, man. Yeah. When the 49ers <laughs> play the Raiders, those fights get pretty intense. I was like, well, yeah. it's very okay. terrifying. <laughs> well, yeah. and mm-hmm. I mean, we've had people
1: killed outside of stadiums, which are still yeah. there, too. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah.
2: So. Yeah. Yeah, back in the ages, there was knives and everything, yeah. yeah. Oh, that that's was fucking That's crazy. crazy. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, yeah. So I got to ask a professional footballer this question. Wouldn't it make more sense if American football was called soccer because it kind of sounds more like what American football does because we hardly use our feet? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't the term soccer sound a little more like, ah, oh, you know, slamming into each other?
3: No. Whereas football <laughs> – i would i would call it tackle oh yeah i don't know why you call it (laughs) football yeah (laughs) which
2: which is the most popular one out of them too anyway football football and um because you've got the three things the three sports in the u.s that i you know i I watch the nba a lot so in terms of in terms of uh public or support or money whatever it is is it football which you call u.s football yeah? yeah yeah or is it baseball or is it basketball
3: uh, they all, they all earn
2: millions and millions of dollars. Fucking they, hell.
3: they all do, and that's kind of tough. Because if you ask me, I'm going to probably say football, even though baseball is considered America's pastime. I don't really right. care for baseball. Yeah. I, it's boring. Yeah. It's a game of catch that gets of America. American football is, yeah. the, is the most watched
1: sport.
2: Most sport. watched. Yeah. Right, that's so, the most
1: watched. Which probably makes a little more sense. You know, only games with, uh, you know,
3: uh, there's Thursday night, then Sunday and Monday. Right? There's Thursday, Sunday, Monday. So you know, there's but a- then right. you got basketball that's on every damn day, especially during the playoffs right now. Yeah, I love NBA. Right oh, I, did I do too. I- and I love this time of year because playoffs—it's game after game after game. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it yeah. sucks because my team's not in it, but whatever. Yeah. But
1: I I think the nature of American football is that the games there's only so few within a year, whereas NBA, you know, I don't even remember what the regular season is now. It used to no, be eighty-two. Yeah. Yeah. Baseball, there's a hundred and. Fifty something. So oh yeah, wow. baseballs. You know, wow. there's so, so many in, baseball games. Uh, because yeah. w- for for uh um like Premier League and stuff, it's it's normally during season one a week, right?
3: It's just weekend. One a week, some,
2: but but there are midweek games as well. You have about ten midweek games during the season, mm-hmm. then rest every Saturday. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I
3: guess to answer your question, it would be football, American yeah. football. Yeah,
2: American football is the biggest watch.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Long answer, short <laughs> question. What about, yeah, <laughs> what about,
2: this is a tricky one. What about finance then? Because when I listen to some of the contracts these NBA players get, it's just mind-boggling.
3: I mean, um, I, it's kind of hard to talk about or to justify it now because there's not – I mean, they're starting to open up the stadiums more. It's not full capacity, but – well, I he's mean, asking about contracts.
2: Yeah, players I'm getting there.
3: I'm getting there. So yeah. with the stadiums not having people, NBA is not bringing in that much money. And I know the views oh. are down because it's boring to watch it at home with no fans because it sounds like a scrimmage. So with yeah. the money not coming in, I don't know how these players are still making the millions and millions that they yeah. do, but Same they better. are. But, they you are. know, you got to figure jersey sales and all that. So, no. I mean... Well, I would say NBA, probably
1: the, the, the highest average, probably like as far as, as far as the amount of big people. And of course we'll get some of those big, baseball contracts. What was it like pull yeah. host was 150 million or something yes. crazy. What I mean? it's crazy? I know
3: nothing about baseball. I have
1: no yeah. idea. It's like <laughs> yeah, and I know it happens in football. Generally genu- gen- generally, the word I could say, quarterbacks mm-hmm. are the oh, yeah. ones quarterbacks
3: that are, the
2: big, are the highest quarterback. Pick. is it? All right. Okay.
3: Are, they're the heartbeat of the team. They're the ones who right. they're the lead they're essentially the leader of the team is the quarterback. So it's understandable. It makes so sense. is the
2: quarterback the one the one where if you throw it he has to catch it.
3: No, the quarterback's the one throwing it.
2: Oh, he's the one that throws it. Yeah. All right. yeah, yeah,
3: okay. yeah. So the one catching it would be the wide receiver who they get right. paid. I actually think the second highest paid in the NFL is the defensive line. I think. Right. I know the defensive line and linebackers they get paid a lot. Then it might come the wide receivers on
2: offense. Yeah, and all that, I'm gonna have to get. I'm gonna have to learn a bit more about American football. Yeah. Come visit I-
3: over here, man. We'll take you to a game. <laughs> I go to Niner games every year.
2: Yeah, well you I tell you, you never know what's what life holds. I could be in America. I'm definitely gonna be looking at you guys, but you never know, yeah. That could happen. Yeah, absolutely. That. Man, we'd
3: love yeah, to definitely. have you here. Yeah, definitely. I've
1: um, never been to London. I uh, dude it's England's awesome. So I wish I could have stayed longer. I was only there for two days and that's two days, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I I've I've
2: been to Florida obviously with, with my daughter and the Disney and all that stuff, Florida. Yeah, and yeah. I've been and, I, and I've been to Brooklyn for a weekend. My auntie lives in Brooklyn, so I went to that yeah, weekend oh. went to down yeah went to uh to a couple of clubs around there what's the billy billy something club in manhattan i can't remember now i'm not familiar with
3: these yes
2: yes i was down there but yeah but the one thing i would say about america which which we always say in england everything's bigger so you come (laughs) to everything whether it's the food or the burgers whether it's the roads whether it's the cars everything is bigger
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, this is true <laughs> we it, it especially depending on where you're at well if you go to Texas I was gonna they say, love right. everything bigger and we won't right. we won't get off into that conversation <laughs> okay.
3: everything's yeah. bigger in Texas uh, yeah. shit so look, I'll say
2: I know you want to you want to watch the time so I'll say the biggest of two highlights I would say of my football career one is when we play so we have you have the FA Cup and you have the league cup obviously a bit the other bigger cup champions league I said but stoke city got into the league cup final uh, and we won and that was my first time and only time that I played at Wembley and when i say Wembley oh, so this is this is 1992 and i call it the real Wembley a lot of fans in the uk call the old twin towers the real Wembley because that was the problem. i know we got a nice stadium now still but it's the old Wembley was just something special yeah so to play her there in a final get a winner's medal family up there that was a big highlight we won 1-0 yeah, yeah so playing at wembley and then um as you're probably aware a, a particular special moment when i uh, was playing for stoke so we drew liverpool in the cop um obviously they were favorites obviously they had you know matt manaman john barnes all these players grubbler and goal obviously so uh we're 2-1 down and I was on the bench and Lou Macari, he's ex-Scotland and Man United, uh, he said to me go and warm up uh, and it's 88th minute and uh, at Anfield and I'm just, one of them things where you just hope, you know, something may happen, you know, I've only got fucking two minutes maybe you know, but as soon as I came on the pitch I remember we had a corner and then I'd done a sort of, sort of scissor kick type kick, went just over the bar and that was my first touch, right got back to the halfway line, you king. Know, goal kick and all that. And then the next attack, uh, there was a through ball. And then me and Gary Ablett, Gary Ablett has since passed away. He was the Liverpool centre-half. And um, me and Gary Ablett got on a chase. And then I'm through. And And when, when I think back now about how I felt when I was through, knowing that I've got 7,000 Stoke fans behind the goal, and I'm now it's me and Grobala. and there's a question that's asked of me about this particular goal to this day. And, uh, <laughs> and so... I. Uh, I sort of fought with it for a few years, yeah. But then I then I thought, you know what? No. So the ball's bouncing, it's through ball, Grublar's coming out, it's me and him. And I've side footed it with a great connection, straight through his legs, straight in the back of the net. Uh Stoke City fans going absolutely mental. Um, we're all going mad, it's two-two, last minute, and we get a great resort, Anfield. But people say, Did you mean to put it through his legs? You know, and uh, so. so <laughs> So I I have to be you know I'm going to say I'll probably be on it. I Maybe went to side foot it to his left, but I got a great connection. It it went straight and back and who cares? Okay (laughs) now. No, no. and I remember that night because it was midweek game Wednesday night. uh, We were in Liverpool. We got back to Stoke on Trent about midnight. Uh, My family came down cousins, and so we went to this nightclub. And I just remember going into the nightclub because Stoke City fans are fanatical, and it's just like bedlam, singing out my name, buying all the drinks and. Just a crowd. Can't remember what happened after that, or who, who, I, who I ended up with. But anyway, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, it, but it was a just it was just a mental night. And uh, next day, phone didn't stop ringing, press and all that stuff. So that particular, you know, experience. Uh, people say to me now, "Oh, you're still dining, dining out on it now." You know, I suppose I am. <laughs> but uh, tell you what does what does happen a lot is I get a lot of um, people, kids that were 16, 17 at the time behind the goal that are now 40s, 50s, and just saying what a great – on social media, I get lots of messages about that. I was beyond the goal that night and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, great experience. That was probably the happiest time in terms of uh, my football career, scoring at Anfield and playing at Wembley. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, no, That's awesome. a Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the renowned stadiums, you know. Yeah. Uh, Wembley is where – oh, what was the – Well, was like ten- Live Aid? No, ten- tennis is there and every – I don't remember if what, was, Live Aid was Was Live Aid what, Wembley. at Wembley? I think so. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, it
1: was. That's how, all that's why that's. Live
2: Aid, right. yeah. Live, all the big concerts there.
1: Everything's at Wembley, yeah. New York and there, yeah. Uh, uh, SummerSlam 92 was there. Yeah,
3: no, <laughs> I wasn't. I'm a professional I wasn't thinking of that geek. at all. I was thinking of pretty oh, right. <laughs> You said
1: Wembley, I thought <laughs> Queen. That's uh, what
2: I did. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Uh, all prim- the big boys are played there.
1: Yeah. Before we get to the fun, random questions and give you the last word, if people want to find out more about um the Red Card uh, Gambling Support yeah. Project, how yeah. do they go about doing so?
2: um so the website is kelly's red card consultancy.co.uk but even if they even if they google red card gambling sport project there's pages of stuff about red card um lots of information on there lots of uh prevention tools on there lots of there's videos on there uh obviously i'm on facebook and instagram and uh linkedin tony kelly so that are not not hard to find uh and i always say to people that if they want to reach out to me through social media or through the website because we have contact details on the website as well phone number and email then don't be afraid to reach out even if even if it's just for a chat or for advice or support no problem at all
1: oh yeah okay. absolutely right on mikey some random questions with mr kelly
3: all right Let's... Oh, no.
1: No. Uh, these are just fun these are fun
3: just for shits and giggles have a laugh yeah. mm. if they were to make a movie about you who would you choose or who would you cast to play you?
2: Oh, um, I know, I know that because one of my favorite actors, uh, and obviously he has to be black. <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> so you're saying you wouldn't cast me?
2: Okay. <laughs> so uh, is, well, is I hope I've got his first name right? Je- Fox James Fox is his first. Oh, name Jamie Fox? Fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: I can see that. Oh, Jamie yeah. Fox yeah. can play anybody. That guy, right. he, yeah, that's why I think good. he can play anybody. He's lit. He's incredible. I love Jamie Fox.
1: Yeah. Uh, OK, if you were stuck on a deserted island and you could have one movie and one music album, what would they be? Which ones would you bring with you? One movie, one music album?
2: Um, the, <laughs> it's funny, they're both American. because uh, You guys do things best, to be fair. Right. I would go for um, Alicia Keys ah, would be okay. the, the album because she's got just a lot of her. her the way she plays the piano and i love her, her mellow voice and i love some of the nice mellow tracks that she does so i could just relax in the, on the island with her with her album yeah, yeah. And with her with her she joins me but anyway <laughs> um, <laughs> if you're
3: stranded on an island you would need to relax from not freaking out so that's a good idea yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Alicia Keys. and uh this this film is is obviously it's an old film yeah but it's just something that's, there's certain parts in the film that make me laugh. And um, this particular actor makes me laugh. So when I say the name of the actor, you'll know who I mean. So Joey Pescu makes me laugh in this film. And it's a legendary film. So I don't know if you guys can guess it.
3: You would probably know more than me. He's the film
2: He's, here. We are We are talking, obviously, gangsters back in the day. Joey Pescu yeah. with, his, with his little trio. There's three of them in the film. They're always in the same film together.
1: What's his Genero, name? Niro, oh,
2: Joe Pesci! Yeah, yeah, yeah Joe Pesci, Robert Niro, and the other one. There's three of them that are fucking. Is,
3: they're all, are we going Goodfellas? That's on? it. That's the one. Yeah,
2: okay. yeah, yeah. my yeah.
3: top three favorite movies is Goodfellas.
1: Yeah. So that's love it. About. Yeah, yeah because you were saying it. that, but then I was going to think ironically if it was Casino.
2: Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> that's Similar, exactly. <laughs> That'd yeah. be really yeah. ironic.
2: Yeah. yeah, but I just I mean, love I love Joey and I love Robert De Niro. I, I, I'm brilliant.
3: obsessed yeah. with Robert De Niro. I, yeah. I anything he does, I love it. Um, when you're stopped in traffic yeah what's going through your head
2: what's going from my head fucking yeah. all right and get a move on
3: <laughs> Are, do you have road rage road rage do
2: you I, I, I have i have road rage but but in the car so i don't i don't i don't get out of the car because all oh, um, right yeah no because you know there was an incident where i had with, with my daughter in the car where someone cut me up and um she was, the car was cut me off and then we're in traffic. So he's, he's at an angle in front of me. He's just, barking, you know, <laughs> cut me up, And um my daughter said, oh, dad, look what, he's, look what he's just done. Look at him, look at him like, with this big fucking car. What's he fucking doing? But in my in my head, I turned around to my daughter and said, you know, I said, you know why I'm not doing the And you know why I'm not getting out of the car? I said, because you're here. That's what I said to her. And uh, oh, yeah. she, she got it. She got it. Because who knows what's going to happen when I get out of the car. Mm-hmm.
3: So sometimes
2: you just, you sometimes just have to take a minute and think as frustrating as it is.
3: Yeah. Jason can vouch for me. I I I I have a little bit of road rage, a little bit. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm very irritable on the freeway with dumb drivers because I drive a lot. So <laughs> there's an I'm abundance of irritable. You know what I mean? Like if we're in a three lane and you're in front of me and you're only going 60 and you're not yeah. in the middle lane or the slow lane and nobody else is there, I'm right. gonna make, yeah. I'm going to make it a point to know yeah. that you pissed me off. So I'll get yeah, on the side yeah. of you. I'll get in front of you. I might slow down a little bit just to piss you off as much yeah, as yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah. I, I could be very petty. I could be very yeah. petty.
2: But I know, but I know what you mean, I don't like that middle lane fucking slow driving shit. Yeah. 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 If you want to yeah. drive slow, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Stay in the yeah. slow lane. Yeah, definitely. No, you're right. I, I agree, Mikey. And yes. one of the my, my pet hate on the road is when you let, you know, when you let someone out of a junction. Yeah. yeah. And they don't say thanks. Oh,
1: oh yeah. yeah. It's oh, like you're you. welcome, you know? Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. You know what mine does my head in,
2: does my head in. Cuz mm. I,
1: I only uh rode in um rode in a cab throughout throughout the city when I was there. Uh, mm. but like here because where we live shit ton of freeways, right? Yeah. So I hate when some stupid son of a bitch cuz like our speed limit is 65. will get on the freeway at 35. Oh yeah. Right. i'm yeah. converting that to kilometers you know it's
3: like yeah
4: it's yeah.
3: like okay so you want us all to die yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: or when it's raining and you drive 10 miles an hour because you're trying to be safe it's like yeah yeah, yeah more dangerous going this slow oh, going that
2: slow yeah i'm
3: not saying for it when it's raining no. i'm just saying no, no. maintain the flow of traffic Hey, yeah. En- yeah, yeah enough about <laughs> driving yeah. Yeah. speaking of shit that annoys us uh any pet peeves what are
1: you some of your your peeves that uh, just hurt the shit out of you other than driving
2: other than driving is uh another one which which only happened the other day and, and i know sooner or later i'm gonna get into trouble but when i go into a shop and then i um you know open the door for someone when they go out and they don't say thank you it's this thank you thing it does my head in whether it's in the car whether i'm open the door for someone at a shop and they just they don't say a word it's like Yeah, you're obliged to open the door from, you know, it's just, it's just, they're they're little things that that I hate. So it's bad manners, really. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what I hate, bad manners. That's what I hate.
3: Do you ever say you're welcome anyways, even if they don't say thank you? I've done that.
2: Yeah. (laughs) um, Yeah. Yeah, and I'll just say, I'll say oh, yeah, I won't say you. Yeah, I'll say, yeah, thank you, yeah, thank you. I'll, sh- I'll shout it to, to make sure they hear it, yeah. Right,
3: right, right. right, right.
4: Yeah,
3: I'll yeah. do that, like, I'll open the door for them, and, you know, whoever it is, and they just walk right in. I'm like, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I just keep walking. It's like, dude, who re- I didn't have to do that. Yeah, I'll get some people. Dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have no. an ex- excellent day, whatever. Uh, <laughs> what would be something that people would be – surprised to know about you like any interesting hobby any interesting random fact yeah
2: okay i'm trying to
3: figure out how i was going to phrase that question yeah
2: yeah a random fact about me um maybe uh we could say my name my name so my name is obviously you know everyone calls me tony so my name my full name is nereri which is n-y-r-e-r-e nereri oh, wow. and, and anthony kelly and nereri is was taken by my dad back in the back in the 60s when they when they uh, were living in country they had a mum and dad had a lodger uh african lodger and uh, this is back in the 50s 60s mum and dad you know 80s now yeah, dad is a lodger, and um, he left a, he left a book line around. This is what my dad told me. He left, left a book line around, and uh, there was African names in this book, and he picked out Nyerere, and this Nyerere is the ex-president of Tanzania. Huh. God knows why he did, but I am Christian Nyerere, Anthony Kelly. That's uh, interesting. I'll be there. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Mr. Kelly. Uh, we always like to leave the guests with the last words of encouragement, uh, you know, be it if someone listening is or alone, yeah. struggling with gambling addiction, or if it's just, you know, just something mm. positive in general.
2: I want to leave on two notes. So one is like like whether it's, whether it's in the US, uh, whether it's football or being a basketball player or whatever, you know, sports person that you're aspiring to be, I would say that. And in the UK, as a, as a young footballer to get rejected from clubs and all that, I would say that just never give up. Um, always strive for your dream because you know lots of people get second chances. You've got to take that second chance. So that's one thing for young people to, to uh, that I would like to sort of stress is that it's never too late to give up, even even when you've been rejected at a younger age. Because um, there's there's hundreds of ex um, there's hundreds of sportsmen out there in different possession professions that I've had rejection at a young age and still gone on to be superstars. So that's one. And in terms of the gambling side of things, um, I said to you earlier that I never thought in a million years that I would be a CEO of a, of a company, of my own company, and that I would be doing public speaking and that I would be writing books. Um, but in terms of oh, what I want, particularly the second book, which has just been published, um, Red Card, I Bet You Can Win. I like that title because that, that's the way I see it. Um, that was published two weeks ago. As you know, it's available on Amazon US. Uh, and I would say that book. I want to inspire people to know that you can come out of adversity, you can recover from trauma, and you can, you know, move on to healthy and sustainable life. Uh, so it's not, it's not all hope is not lost. Just remember that. Absolutely
1: yeah. love, I love that. Well, Mr. Kelly, this has been fucking awesome. Too bad we're way across the pond because. I I, I, I hope we get a conversation in person one of these days. Let's go to an interview.
2: So do I. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> so what part of America are you both in? California. California.
1: California.
2: Oh right. Come on. That's California's nice, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah. It is where we're at is oh, so you always do this. Just it's, it's like so we're like in an ag area. So we're about two a uh, two hour drive from like the
3: coastal area. Yeah. I okay. like to just say California. California and just let people's imaginations go. My, my, yeah. We're friends with the Kardashians. We surf to work, <laughs> all that yeah. good stuff. I like to just let their imaginations <laughs> go.
4: Yeah, us yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. to Reality. <laughs> I have a blonde brunette <laughs> and redheaded. <laughs> <girlfriend>. <laughs> you know, <they're> all <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> so,
2: but no. But through through social media and through Catherine, I'm definitely gonna over the next uh, three or four months keep in touch because I think there will be a time. Where because I I do want to have a little mini break and then maybe a time where I can come to America when oh, everything's yeah, down. once everything dies. Yeah, once everything dies down, I might I might come if I go because me and my brother are talking about you know you talk about um, life goals and things you want to do before you get old or Whatever, yeah, just certain really? things that you were doing. We were talking the other day about where's our next trip going to be. My parents are in Saint Vincent, which is obviously the Caribbean. Yeah, my mom's yeah. out, mom's out there, um, but we were talking about America, and so. Uh thing you you asked a question earlier, something else they might know about me. This will get you.
3: Uh-huh.
2: There is two of me. You
3: have a twin? Identical? Oh wow. Oh, that's cool.
2: That's yeah. fun. Yeah, it is. It is fun. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, some of the, the stories we had twin with the twin stories when we were younger, you know, yeah, we have some <laughs> great <laughs> <laughs> have some great times. But yeah, my twin, we're very, very close, 20 minutes apart. Um, the only difference is he didn't become a professional footballer but I did, obviously did, but we're very close, and so yeah if, if we decide in the next 3, 4, 5 months when things go down, you won't have a trip, then we'll come together
3: Yeah, that's that'd awesome, awesome. who's 10 minutes older? Who's the older one?
2: He's 20 minutes older than me
3: Oh, he's, okay, yeah, so yeah, you're yeah. the, okay, alright yeah, yeah. yeah, we yeah. should absolutely stay in touch we'd love to have you out here
2: Yeah, yeah that'd be brilliant be especially brilliant.
3: because I know as
1: things uh, uh, continue to open up, one of our agendas was to try to create uh, speaking engagements, you know, and guests and stuff like that. So especially if it's something where, hey, we can also do a little bit of business for you, you know, and and, and help some people in lives and hey, cool. Yeah. Extra brilliant. Bag. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, mate. Brilliant.
1: Well, thank you. Well, you, you too. To I know it's late <laughs> on the you, day there. You,
2: you, you, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. You two are a good double act, though. I'll give you that. You're a good double act.
3: Mm. Yeah, appreciate we <laughs> yeah. appreciate your time too, my friend. Yeah. Bloody hell,
1: Tony Kelly. No, it, <laughs> no, it's, it's it's fuck all.
3: Fuck all. I love the accent, man. I all I right. absolutely love it. I I just I think it sounds so cool.
1: Ah, uh, what a great guy. Just a total blast. Uh, uh to speak with Tony. A uh, great person and and deeply passionate. About of course not only uh, gambling addiction but addiction in general, and he's he's seeing what it's done uh, in his local community, in his country, in the United Kingdom, and it, really addiction has such an impact no matter what it is upon the individual, those that care and love about them, and also what goes on in the community.
3: No, yeah, absolutely, and like I had said previously before we had listened to him, it's you know I can I personally can go into a casino lose a hundred dollars and then just be like you know what. Fuck it, and then yeah. just leave. But the way he put it into perspective, like, well, me as an athlete, I don't want to lose. Yeah. So when I lose, I want to try to win. So I'm gonna go get that hundred back. And unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't always work out that way. And that's how you g- get yourself into a deeper and deeper hole. I, the way he put it, I get it. Yeah. I get it. You know, it sure. makes sense now.
1: Sure, it's 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 no different than um, you know, I can't put the bottle down after five. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Uh, Well, then I'm just not competitive.
3: (laughs) I'm really not. I've never really been that competitive. Like, I'm trying to think. I really haven't been. If if I lose in something, like if you and I are playing like cornhole or like darts or something, and you beat me, whatever. It's taken me. It's (laughs) taken me a
1: lot of work to not be a pouty shithead when I lose. Like you beat me in darts. Big big fucking deal. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I don't care. And you know what? It's funny you mentioned that. I've never really thought about that um with my drinking but really you know just you mentioning that socially i would think about that like haha see i could drink that guy that outweighs me by 150 pounds under the
3: table i never really thought about it maybe as a competitive approach until you brought that up i'm just not yeah i'm i don't know and as far as like the weight thing it's a different topic for me i feel like it's different sure i really do like there was i had a roommate who was about five five a buck 40 soaking wet that dude could outdrink all of us, right? And that, mind you, that's when I was like nineteen. But I really don't think it's a size thing. I just feel like it's a tolerance thing. Sure. Well, no, touching it, on that,
1: it, it 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 absolutely is. But mm. you know what I'm saying? My competitive nature and the yeah, stupidity in my head. Yeah, that's just where your head, head went.
3: Yeah. yeah. You think you're like
1: an alpha above me? All right, we'll do another shot, bitch. And then the big, you know, the guy bigger than me is like,
3: uh, he puking, and I'm sitting there laughing hardly with the buzz. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Or if you outdrink a well-known alcoholic. Right. You know what I'm saying that would be cuz I've done that and when I was, the was in Vegas. Of oh, it. it's dumb as hell, yeah. but I remember nah, we're going all over the place here this one people. But I remember being with one of my uncle's friends who has been a notorious drinker his entire life and I was in Vegas with him. This was years ago and I was fine, and he was like slurring. We had to carry him, and my uncles were like, I've never seen him like this before in my life. And I was going toe-to-toe with him the entire time. And he's not a big guy, but he was a drinker. And it's so lame that we prided ourselves on just dumb shit like that. It absolutely is. It's so lame. Back to Tony. Yeah.
1: Uh, Thank you again, Mr. Tony Kelly. You are absolutely awesome. If you want more on Tony, click the link in the podcast description for his website, his social media, and, of course, the link to purchase his new uh, book, uh, the sequel to his original autobiography. It's a red card uh, bet you can win, and uh, just sheds more light on not only gambling addiction and how people can go to the depths, but very relatable on any level of addiction. Uh, There's so many similarities. And uh, if you want some words of inspiration, speaking of books, don't forget to pick up Carlos Vieira's autobiography, Knocking Doors Down, with all proceeds benefiting the Carlos Vieira Foundation and its three programs. The link there, of course, you can get it uh, the hardback, paperback, or the ebook on Amazon. Anything else, Mr. Naraki? Nope, I'm going home. On that note, mates, keep knocking doors down.
5: 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up, there's a special deal for listeners of knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. Strengthening communities, providing resources, building awareness, empowering youth in need to overcome adversity and achieve success. This This is what the Carlos Vieira Foundation is all about. Through our campaigns, the Race for Autism, Race to End the Stigma, and Race to Be Drug-Free, we're able to help so many in need. Our goal is to provide support to families and children and give these families opportunities that might not normally arise. Learn more and find out how you can get involved. Visit carlosvierafoundation.org today. This
0: podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments suggestions or correction of errors.